We're continuing our delve into the subject of fellowship. And today we're focusing on fellowship involving concern and restoration. Would you bow your hearts together with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the wonderful privilege of being part of your family. And we confess with our lips what you're already aware of. There are times when we have and we do take it for granted. And so realizing the importance of what we're about to study from your word today, I'm offering myself as a vessel of fresh and anew at your hands at this very moment. Please cleanse me with the washing of the blood of your dear son. Please anoint with the power of your sweet Holy Spirit, so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, so that your purpose, your design purpose might be accomplished for each of us as individuals, as families, and as a church collective. Because as I pray, and praises for victories I give in Christ's name, amen. Fellowship involves concern and restoration. I'm convicted in my intellect and I'm convinced in my emotions that our Heavenly Father intends for His family to be tightly knit together in fellowship. And a part of the glue that wells us together is concern and restoration. The desire of God that His family maintain involvement one for another in regard to affectionate concern was expressed by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome, and it's still God's desire for His church family today. I read from Romans chapter 12, verses 10 and 13. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, distributing, underscore this, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. That word distributing is a very interesting word. It literally means and conveys the thought of sharing among ourselves. It conveys the thought of taking part in are being partners with one another. Concern must be a concrete application of our love toward one another in the body of Christ if indeed we're going to live life relationally so that our relationships will be biblical and beneficial. When I say the phrase, I have concern about you. What does that word concern conjure up in your mind and heart? To some people, it may mean that I am worrying about you. To others, it means that I care about you. Now, follow me very closely. If I care about you, I will be concerned about you. If I love you, I will care for you. I will be concerned about you. If you love me, you will care for me. If you love me, you will be concerned about me. 
A number of years ago, I decided to do a study on the life of the Apostle Paul, and it was very interesting for me to discover that there were a number of contributing factors to his success in his relationship with the churches. And one of the things that I discovered was that Paul was successful as a pastor, as a missionary, as a revivalist, because Paul communicated to the churches that he cared for them. He communicated to the churches that he was concerned about them, and they perceived his care. They perceived his concern, and they knew that it was not superficial. It was part of his lifestyle. He truly lived life relationally in regard to them, and throughout the epistles written by the Apostle Paul, he was constantly encouraging them to not only recognize, but also practice the need for care, concern one for another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want us to notice how Paul was inspired to use the physical body to draw a spiritual lesson in this context. I begin reading in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 24. For our comely or attractive parts have no need, but God hath tempered or reigns the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. Now, I will be honest with you, if I had been making the body, I would not have followed this procedure but God did. And so, the question is, why did God arrange your body physically and my body physically as He did? Notice, God hath tempered or arranged the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism or division in the body. That's why our body is formed as it is, but that the members should have the same underscore, care one for another. And as if someone is about to ask, well, Pastor Paul, what are you talking about? He continued, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, don't raise your hands, but have any of you ever hurt one part of your body and it affected other parts of your body? In the last Pentecostal church that Rebecca and I pastored in Irving, Texas, we were having a week of revival emphasis for our youth, and we were having a different physical activity every day to go along with a spiritual lesson. This particular day, we were playing softball. And someone came up with a bright idea that we were going to divide up and the guys were going to play the gals. So we fellows were out in the field and there was a young girl that came up to bat. The ball was thrown to her and she may have closed her eyes, I don't know, but she swung and she missed and there was a little chuckle that came up from the guys. The ball was thrown a second time, and she swung and missed, and, and this time the chuckling turned into robust laughter. 
The ball was thrown a third time. She swung and connected, and it came in my direction as I was playing second base. And I thought to myself, I'm going to show these young people how really good I am. So with all the grace and poise I had, I made my way to that slow rolling ground ball, turned to make one of my fancy between the leg catches, lost my balance, fell on my right shoulder, and heard it go pop. And I knew what had happened. I had dislocated my shoulder. So I made it home to my wife, who was a nurse, and I said, sweetheart, pull my arm back in place. I've dislocated my shoulder. And she said, no. I said, yes, just dislocated. Pull it back in place. Well, we had a, I started to say heated, but it didn't quite reach that fever. Well, we had a lengthy discussion. She won, took me to the doctor, and he pronounced that I had torn muscles and tendons and ligaments in my shoulder and he had to do surgery to put it all back together. Well, after that surgery, the doctor did a very foolish thing. He left my arm too long in the sling, and my shoulder froze up. It affected other parts of my body. And in order to break my shoulder loose, I had to tie a rope around my right wrist toss it over the top of the door, and with my good arm, begin pulling up my bad arm. I would walk to a wall and, and put my fingertips about waist height and just begin to inch them up. It was so painful. But what a day it was when I finally broke my right shoulder loose. I was walking around the corner of the house late Saturday afternoon, and I heard our oldest daughter talking to one of her little friends, and she said, you've got to come to church tomorrow and hear my daddy preach. And her young friend asked, well, why do I need to come to church tomorrow and hear your daddy preach? And Salome said with a great big grin on her face, tomorrow my daddy is going to preach a right-handed sermon. For weeks, I had only been able to use my left arm. You see, when one member of the body suffers, it can affect other members of our body. And then Paul makes a transition to emphasize a spiritual truth. Look at this last part in verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ and members in particular. So what's that saying to you and what's that saying to me? Just as when a physical member suffers and all the members suffer with it, even so in the spiritual body of Christ, when one member suffers, it should affect all of us. We should suffer along with it. Just as in the physical body, when one member is honored, all members rejoice with it, so it must be in our spiritual body as well. Now, I want us also to notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 how Paul was inspired to use himself as an example of how other members in the body of Christ are to care 
to be concerned for one another. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 12. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for the cause, his cause that suffered wrong. And again, as if someone is about to ask, well, Pastor Paul, why did you write then? If you did not write to him who had caused the wrong, and you did not write to him who had been done wrong, why did you write? Underscore for the rest of your life and living the response of Pastor Paul. He said, I wrote that I will care for you in the sight of God might appear or be made known unto you. So, what's Paul saying? Paul is saying that he wanted them to know that he cared. He wrote to them so that they could understand that he was concerned about them. One of the most endearing testimonies about Timothy, Paul's son in the faith, is preserved in the book of Philippians chapter 2. I want to read verse 19 before I read the commendation. Philippians 2, 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly to you. And as if someone is about to ask, well, why are you sending this individual? Of all of your associates, of all of those that you have access to, why are you sending this particular individual? Paul responds, I'm sending Timotheus shortly unto you that I may be of good comfort when I know your state. So, why was Paul sending Timothy? Paul was sending Timothy so he wanted them to know that he cared for their welfare. He was sending Timothy because he wanted them to understand that he was concerned about what they were doing. Now, look at the commendation in verse number 20. Why this man? For I have no man like-minded who will underscore naturally what? One more time, what? One more time, what? Who will naturally care for your state. So, what does this reveal? It reveals that Paul had been a role model to Timothy of biblical beneficial fellowship. And Timothy had grasped what Paul had exemplified. Timothy had put it into personal practice. And now the truth of concern and care was a vital part of his living life relationally so as to manifest love for God and love for others. And the Bible says now it was just a very natural way for him to act and react. Would to God that all of us had that natural display in our relationships with one another. We didn't have to put on, we didn't have to pretend, it just comes natural for us to care for one another. Sadly, though, having a caring, 
concerning spirit about the condition of others was not a trait possessed and exemplified by all of the disciples. And what I'm about to say is not meant to be critical, it's not meant to be judgmental, but it is not a trait exemplified and practiced by all of the quote-unquote disciples of Jesus even today. I believe with all of my mind and all of my heart that it pained the apostle John to write the words recorded in John chapter 12 about Judas, a fellow disciple. In John chapter 12, those opening verses, Jesus is in the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And Mary bends down and she begins washing the feet of Jesus. And then in John chapter 4, or chapter 12, I want to begin reading in verse number 4. Then said one of Christ's disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? And underscore, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag or money box and bear what was put therein. My brothers and sisters, such must not ever be said of you and me. As disciples of Christ, we must be a caring individual. We must be a concerned entity. One of the verses I learned soon after I became a Christian at the age of 15 was penned by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. Casting all your care upon God. And again, as if someone is about to ask, well, Pastor Peter, why should we be casting all of our care upon God? Peter responds, for he careth for you. This verse was especially precious to me because I did not grow up with a good father figure as a role model. When I was still a young boy, my earthly father deserted my mother and we four boys. And I never felt as though my father cared for me. But when I became a Christian, when I became a member of God's family through faith in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, I discovered that my heavenly father had always cared for me. I discovered that my Heavenly Father had always been concerned about me even before I confessed and repented of my sins. I discovered that He cared about me so much. I discovered that He was concerned about me so intently that He gave His only begotten Son so that if I would confess and ask Him to be my personal Savior, I could be grafted into the family of God. There's a hymn that 
we don't sing very often. I wish we did. It's hymn number 181. I would encourage you and invite you to turn with me there as I read these stanzas. It's entitled, Question, Does Jesus Care? Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth and song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long? Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me and my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks? Is it all to him? Does he care? And then the songwriter bursts forth, oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Casting all our care upon him, for he careth for us. And so the question I'm asking today, what does Christian mean? Does it not mean to be Christ-like? And so if Jesus cares for you and Jesus cares for me, if you and I would be like Jesus, my brothers and sisters, we must also care and be concerned for one another. You see, if we are willing to care, if we are willing to be concerned, we can and we will help others who may be struggling, who may be straying and suffering. Very briefly, I want to look at three illustrations of this in the New Testament. The first illustration is what I refer to as the case of the struggling believer. It's found in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1, 2, and then I'm dropping down to verses 9 and 10. Brethren, so who is he writing to? He's writing to brethren, members of the church. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, underscore, restore. Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So how do I and how do you fulfill the law of Christ? As we bear one another's burdens, as we care, as we express concern for each other. And let us not grow be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto how many men? 
unto all men and underscore for the rest of your life and living this next word, especially unto them who are the household of faith. My brothers and sisters, I cannot emphasize enough that it is important to care and be concerned about those in Africa and Asia. But I am convicted in my intellect and I'm convinced in my emotions that we can only care and be concerned about those in other places as we care and are concerned about one another. Now, if you're going to get upset with anybody, don't get upset with Pastor Dan. Get upset with Pastor Paul. He said, I am to especially be concerned and care for you because you are the household of faith. So what's the concern? The concern is that a believer is overtaken in a fault. A believer has made a blunder, a false step. The process of restoration is that those who are spiritual are to restore in the spirit of meekness. So what's the principle? The principle is that God has established a mutual ministry for His family. A mutual ministry wherein the healthy are to assist the weak and the strong are to bear the infirmities of the struggling. Second case is what I refer to as the case of the straying Christian. It's found in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Pastor Dan, are you telling me that Christians can stray? Well, let's read. James 5, verses 19 and 20. Brethren, so who's he writing to? Writing to brethren, right? Members of the church. If any of you, now who's the you? (laughs) Brethren, right? He says, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, wow. And one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way. Now, I think I could preach about a 30-minute sermon just on this one aspect here. My brothers and sisters, Pastor Paul, through the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, says that a brother who has erred from the truth is a sinner. He which converteth a sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So what's the concern? The concern is that a believer has strayed from the truth. What's the process of restoration? Without turning that individual off, direct that individual back to truth. And that can be done through prayer, through personal concern, spirit-directed words, actions of love, on and on the list could go. So what's the principle? The principle is that the one who turns a sinning one back to the original condition of fellowship will play a vital role in saving a soul from death 
and will cover a multitude of sins. Don't you want to be like that kind of brother and sister who will have that much concern and care for like members of the body of Christ? I believe you do. Third illustration is what I call the case of the suffering saint. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and underscore, seeth his brother have need, and shut up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. Now, is he saying that you're never, I am never to tell, we're never to tell one another that we love each other? Is that what he's saying? No. My wife would become quite upset if I never told her I love her. But my brothers and sisters, follow me closely. Actions speak louder than words. Talk. I love you. Am I smiling? Talk can come cheap. And he's saying there needs to be an expression of our love. So what's the concern? The concern is that a brother in the Lord is in need. The process of restoration is that we're to open the heart to assist in meeting that need. So what's the principle? We love in deed and in truth. Why is it so imperative? Why is it so important that we live life relationally in regard to fellowship involving concerning restoration? Why is it so important? For two reasons. First of all, for the benefit of others as we've just noted, but secondly, so that we ourselves can be benefited. Don't raise your hands when I ask this question. Don't nod. Don't grunt. Don't groan. Is there anybody else here besides me who has ever felt like no one cared or cares for you? Is there anyone else here besides me who has ever felt as though no one is really concerned about what's going on in my life or what's happening to me? If you have never felt like nobody cares, if you have never felt as though no one is concerned, you are in the minority. I want you to listen very intently as David literally cries out in this context. It's found in Psalm 142 and verse number 4. Listen to the man after God's own heart. 
I looked on my right hand, and behold, there was no man that would know me. Refuge fail me. And listen to his distress. No man cared for my soul. Have you ever felt like David? Nobody cares. Nobody is concerned. My brothers and sisters, we need to be there for those who feel like this. <laughs> there are people in this community who feel like this. And would it surprise you if I make this statement? There are people who are members of this church, they've told me, who feel like this. Nobody cares. Nobody is concerned. My friends, this must not be. In Matthew chapter 7, and I close with this, Jesus gave what we refer to as the golden rule. Listen, as it flowed from the gracious lips of our Savior, Matthew 7 and verse 12, Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. How can I expect you to care for me if, if I do not practice a golden rule concerning you? How can I expect you to be concerned about me if, if I never express any concern about you? May I read it again? Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Rebecca and I went to pastor a new church, and the first Sabbath we were there, there was a church member who came up to me and said quite pitifully, Pastor, no one ever invites me home for Sabbath lunch. And I didn't think much about it, but the next Sabbath she was back again. Pastor, nobody ever invites me home for Sabbath lunch. Week after week after week, that's what I heard. One Sabbath, I looked down the long hallway, saw her coming in my direction, and I knew what was going to come out of her mouth. Pastor, nobody ever invites me home for Sabbath lunch, and I was ready for her. I placed an arm around her shoulder, and I asked my sister, may I ask you a question? And she said, yes. And I asked another question. My sister, do you know what the Bible says about having friends? And she looked at me with a puzzled expression on her face, and she said, well, I don't seem to recall. And I said, my sister... My Bible says if we would have friends, we must show ourselves to be friendly. Now, I'll tell you what you do. Instead of waiting for someone to invite you home for Sabbath lunch today, why don't you invite someone home to eat lunch with you? And she said, really? I said, yeah, it can't hurt anything. They'll either say yes or no. She took me up on my proposition, 
And to her utter amazement, someone accepted her invitation. In just a few weeks, that dear sister had the reputation not only in that local church, but in the entirety of that community of being one of the friendliest, caring, most concerned, outgoing ladies in the entire area. Are you listening to me? May I read it again? Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Be caring. It will come back to you. Be concerned. It will come back to you because the Bible says if we sow, we will also what? We will reap. So caring and being concerned benefits others but it also benefits us. When I was doing research for this sermon, I read the following from our Seventy Adventist commentary, and my life has not been the same since, and I want to share it with you. I hope it will have the same impact. It's a commentary on Matthew 7 and verse 12. Seventy Adventist commentary, volume 5, pages 356 and 357. The way in which the Christian treats his fellow men is the acid test of the genuineness of his religion. Amen or ouch. The way I treat Dr. Joe, okay, is an acid test of the genuineness of my religion. The golden rule summarizes the obligations of the second table of the Decalogue and is another statement of the great principle of loving our neighbor. Our attitude toward our fellow men is an infallible index of our attitude toward God, my attitude toward Sister Gwen is an infallible index of my attitude toward God. The golden rule takes supreme selfishness, what we would like others to do for us, and transforms it into supreme selflessness, what we are to do for others. And I love this next sentence. This is the glory of Christianity. May I say hallelujah about now? What I have been sharing with us today, this is the glory of Christianity. Why? Why is this the glory of Christianity? Because this is the life of Christ lived out in those who follow Him and bear His name. Fellowship involves concern and restoration. And we can never be a part of the process of restoration if we are not 
concern about one another. But thank God, when we are concerned, when we do care, restoration will take place. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for your care, your concern. And we would be like Jesus. Lord, we're offering ourselves as candidates at this very moment for concern and care to reach a pinnacle in our life and living as never before so that we can be influential in the restoration process of others and so that we ourselves can also benefit as we bear one another's burdens. Because this pride, pray, and praises for victories I give in the caring, concerned name of Jesus. Amen. Father, as we exit the worshipful atmosphere of the sanctuary and enter into a world that seems to be so uncaring, so unconcerned in so many areas. May we make a difference in the lives of others as we express the life of Jesus. Amen.